You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And welcome into Socks in the Basement. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. Four fans, by fans, all white socks. 30 minutes of socks. That is Socks in the Basement. And we have so much to talk about today. I mean, this has been like one of those crazy, weird weeks in, in, in white socks fandom with so many strange and interesting things coming out of Glendale. And out of the mouths of people who are high-ranking members of the White Sox, the show writes itself. It's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Look, Ed, did you get any water in your basement this past week? Yeah, actually, Cook County dropped off four buckets of water from somebody else's house because I didn't get enough. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. People are trying to make sure they can keep the water from all the snow that's melting out of their basement. You may have discovered a problem, and trust me, if you discovered it, it got worse because water was passing through your foundation. Never let that happen again. Reach out to our good friends at Family Waterproofing Solutions. They are family-owned, they are veteran-owned, and they cover northern Illinois and northwest Indiana, and they give you money off for mentioning socks in the basement. That's a pretty good deal. They handle anything to do with your foundation, your sump pumps, uh, things that are going on around the house, see something weird with your sidewalk that might have to do with your foundation. Check them out. The phone number is on our logo wherever you are listening to this podcast. And also you can visit them at FAMWS.com. And I'm I'm hoping that Ken and Marie over there will meet us at Socks in the Basement Fest. I'm putting them on the guest list. Uh, This thing is getting bigger and bigger by the day. We have several people already confirmed for it. Remember, tickets go on sale next Saturday, a week from the date that this show comes out. 12 noon, high noon. For the March 20th event, Socks in the Basement Fest at Blue Island Beer Company in the heart of Blue Island. Not only is there a spring training game that we'll be putting up for you to watch along with us, Socks versus Indians that day, but we have confirmed members of Section 108 going to be there. Jordan Lazowski from Socks on 35th, Matt Sawaski from Pinwheels and Ivy, and no less than four and maybe more major media personalities have given me the handshake, have given me the wink, wink, have told me they're coming, but don't announce it until Wednesday. Okay. Cause they want to be sure because of the pandemic and whether or not they're stepping on any toes. We also may have a couple of former players showing up. I don't know how this is going to work because I'm dealing in a pandemic. I might get somebody says I'm in their wife tells them, no, you're not. You're staying home. There's a pandemic. I, I have no idea how this is all going to work, but we are going to be releasing a pretty good size list on the next episode. And then tickets go up on Saturday, you know, a couple days after the list comes out of who is scheduled to appear. But this thing looks like it's going to be big. 15 bucks secures your spot, limited tickets. So you want to make sure you get them right away. You get a beer when you walk in the door, the socks in the basement, trucker hat, and you get a bunch of swag because we have all kinds of local businesses and business partners that we have and people that advertise that are throwing in stuff into your swag bag. You're getting that $15 or more back when you walk in and then you get a party, Ed. Oh, yeah. Not just a party, but... You're going to be able to kick off the White Sox 2021 season in absolute style because you're at a great brewery. Uh, we are going to be able to talk about the Sox. 
We're going to have a really good idea of who the team is and what's going on there. We're going to have a bunch of good opinions and people who are close to the team and people who know things and cover the team. And it's going to be just a bunch of us getting together, drinking some good beer, and getting to talk about our favorite team. Yeah. What, I, what, what better way to spend an afternoon? We're going to know so much by that point. We learned an awful lot this week. I don't know where to start. I mean, the obvious thing is the jump into the Rick Hahn comments because he made himself sound <laughs> so stupid. But before we get to that... Something that just recently came out, Bruce Levine, and he's he's one of those guys, I cross my fingers and hope it's true. You know, you kind of wait for somebody else to say it too. And maybe by the time yeah. this episode comes out, somebody else will have said it as well. But Bruce Levine saying he talked with Tony La Russa and Kopech and Crochet starting in the bullpen at the beginning of the 2021 season with Rodon being the fifth starter. Now, I don't like it, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. I feel like what they're doing is they're trying to save innings early on and there's no way Rodon is actually pitching for this team by the all-star break as a starter unless one of the other four guys that are above him get injured. The second Rodon came back on a major league deal, you knew that he was at least being looked at as a starter because they were not signing him to a $3 million deal to be you know, a long reliever out of the pen. They could find that much cheaper and spend that $3 million elsewhere. And we've talked about how the Sox have or haven't spent their money all, all season long, off-season long. But the idea, the whole idea with Kopech starting in the bullpen was always going to be exactly that. Limit his innings, limit his exposure, get him ramped up, and then down the stretch, you've got him taking a starting role. Ideally, you've got Cease taking a next step. You know what you're going to get or should get out of Giolito, Keuchel, and Lynn. And Rodon is either going to disappear as a swing guy or he is just not going to be on the team. He's But for him to be a starter down the stretch the only way that that happens is if you know like you said somebody's hurt or if whatever magic ethan katz is trying to work with dylan cease and with ronaldo lopez and with carlos rodan works and rodan somehow takes a step that we didn't think that he could take after all these years of watching him not be what he was drafted to be what you have is you got three horses at the top i mean you got three really good pitchers and that's what's going to matter in the postseason if you Absolutely. make it, I don't assume we're making it to the postseason. I would have assumed we were making it if we would have gone out and made a couple extra moves that we didn't make because the owner had a very strict budget. I also see a guy in Cease that I have hope for. I do. I have hope for Dylan Cease. Uh, the book is not written on him yet, and he's got a new pitching coach, and I have very positive vibes for him. He gets every chance in the book in my mind. Even if he comes out slow, he gets every chance in the book. But the fifth starter is a failed first-round draft pick that the team didn't care enough about to tender an arbitration deal. And if you'd have been snagged by somebody else, they would have just picked somebody else out of the scrap heap. And for a team with championship aspirations, it bothers me that that was the plan, that it was going to be Rodan or somebody Rodan-like. And that was all we were going to do. And they knew that back when they did the tenders. It goes back to the, the article that The Athletic had earlier this week, where and we're going to get into this a little bit more here later on in the program, but... Rick Hahn, I guess, sat down and needed to get stuff off his chest. And before we get into the stupid things he said, he actually said something that was very telling. Yeah, right. Okay, he said something that when I first read the article, before I got to the stupid parts, the parts that were annoying, the parts that were not based in reality or fact, before all that, Rick Hahn, this is the quote, it actually says he, but he's talking about Hahn. Hahn indicated that the onus is on the front office to spend wisely rather than simply spend more. Translation to this is very simple. This is what Jerry gave me to work with, so I had to operate under a budget, and based on that, 
I'm pretty happy with how I spent the money I had. That's how I read that. And that's fine. I can't blame Rick Hahn for the budget given to him by his boss. All 32 teams operate that same way. Ownership says, here, here's what you can go spend. Do it in a smart fashion. It's just that some teams have the ability to throw around money, more money than they would actually need to spend to do what they want to do, right? But the, the vast majority of teams are still going to be spending out of a limited pot. I, look at the Yankees. The Yankees are historically a team that just spend, 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 spend. But look at their starting rotation this year. It, I called them, what, Garrett Cole and the Flyers? Because they've got, you know, Corey <laughs> Kluber coming back off of injury. They've got it's Jordan Montgomery trying to reclaim some stuff after his uh, Tommy John. They've got Jamison Tyon. He's trying to reclaim stuff that he never really had. Montgomery's 28 years old. Exactly. Right. He's Carlos Rodon. He's their Rodon. That's what Montgomery is to them. Except for their Rodon is number two in the rotation right now. And our Rodon, we're kind of lamenting that he's the fifth starter. So tell me if I'm uh, what you think. Am I right or am I wrong, man? I'm just my the way I read this with this team is that when I look at the comments a few weeks ago and I look at the fact that now Kopech and Crochet are starting in the bullpen, if I take a big view of it, if I sit back and say, okay, let's try to decipher what's actually happening here. I believe that Michael Kopech is going to be a starter on this team sooner rather than later, but this is a way to control his innings and they want to be sure. And by doing that, they can give Rodon, he'll, he'll still get three to five actual starts. And I say actual starts as he's not the opener. If after whatever the limit is, because remember they did this with Lopez last year, they gave Lopez a start out of the gate. And when he sucked, they were like, we're done with you. And we said this leading into the season, like manager was mad at him. They don't think his head's on straight. He's going to get a little bit of rope, but not a lot. And if he hangs himself with it, then we, we move on to another pitcher. Right. And, and that's exactly what happened. That's what's going to happen to Carlos Ronan. For $3 million, you put him out there because he's giving you a chance to at least compete while you're waiting on the guy that you really want to be a starter to get to that point that you have in your mind where he can start extending his workload because they want him for the back half of the season and they want him for the postseason. That's what they want. They don't want to have to shut him down. So wherever it is, whatever amount of games, and, and if you think about it, five starts could actually last him two months because in the early part of the season, you have all these days off that are built in where you might actually get to skip road on a couple of times. So imagine you end up skipping him two, three times in the first two months and you give him five starts. You know, now now you're almost two months into the season by the time he gets to that threshold. If he hasn't been able to do anything that you're confident in and you're sitting there saying, well, we're getting here to the end of May and we're ready to start putting Kopech into more innings. Now all of a sudden you make Rodon an opener like we described on the last show and he only sees a lineup once, but then he becomes an opener as they move Kopech now into the thing of, all right, he's coming in the third inning and he's pitching through the sixth. He's pitching he's pitching three, four, five, and six. Now he's at four innings. And then after the All-Star break, now Michael Kopech's starting. And Carlos Rodan could just be waived at that point. Like, they might just say, hey, you think you can handle the bullpen? No, I'm a starter. All right, take it easy, big guy. Yeah. Paid you $3 million for half a season. We're good. That's a very realistic thing to me when I look at Carlos Rodan. The best case scenario is, is that he comes out and makes good on the promise that he had when he was a first-round pick. But thinking that that's going to happen is kind of fooling yourself. I, I think it's more, as you describe, he is going to be used as a, we kind of know what we have situation. They're going to skip starts on him. He's not going to get, you know, every five days because you don't in the, the early part of the season in particular, 
And then as soon as Kopech is ready and ramped up and ready to go, Rodon is going to have to make a decision. He's either going to have to go to the bullpen, he's going to have to go to Charlotte, or he's just going to have to go take his chances on the street. The other thing, too, is, is that I will only become extremely frustrated at this. I'm, I'm frustrated that they didn't go a different direction in the offseason, but I will become extremely frustrated if Rodon comes out in spring, does not look good, um, and there are guys that have better springs than him that could get major league innings and still have options to go down if Kopech overtakes him, and they still run Rodon out there instead of giving, say, Stever or Lambert or somebody like that the opportunity to show what they can do in the majors in the earlier part of the season, especially if they need them at the end of the season in September when they're trying to line up the rotation and when they're trying to get guys you know, a little bit of rest before we go into the, uh, the postseason, again, assuming the Sox make it. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. Whether it's physical activity or off-season stress, Creaky Bone's gonna help you out. Use that promo code BASEMENT, 20% off your order, right now at creakybone.com. Joining me on the phone line right now for Socks in the Basement, and this is kind of fun. If you're paying close attention listening to the show, the majority of the show was recorded with me and Ed earlier in the night, and now I have to adjust on a Friday night to Scott Merkin because he's living the life in Arizona. It's warm, the The hours are different, and I would imagine it's a big giant party down at spring training, right, Scott? How are you? Good, either that or I completely forgot until you text me, so we're taping it now. <laughs> what, what <laughs> <I do? laughs> And that's nothing against your great program. It's just I'm very forgetful at this point in my life. So <laughs> I've seen some great quotes. You're doing a great job down there. I'm learning an awful lot just following you on Twitter. Thanks. It seems to me like we have a really young, exciting team. And we've got some really interesting guys that probably won't make the roster, but it's going to be interesting to see who's the 26th man. I mean, we're talking about Sheets out there. I keep hearing his name. Zach Collins, possibly. You were talking about it. We actually said it on our last show. You projected him to be in the uh, in the starting lineup. Ed and I weren't so sure because we were like, if you're, if you're keeping Vaughn and you're keeping three catchers, I'm not so sure about it. Jake Berger looks good. I don't think he's breaking camp with the team, but there's a guy you might see eventually, uh, sooner rather than later here on the south side. Who is the story out there? You're watching these guys. Like, who are we, who should we be really excited about? Uh, what have you seen that's made you excited about the White Sox so far? Well, I think the story of camp is Tony La Russa, right? Because he's, you know, he's 76 years old and he's back managing for the first time since 2011 when he won a World Series title with the Cardinals and he's won three titles and he's won 2,728 games. And he was a surprise to basically, I think everyone, but Jerry Reinsdorf is the new manager of the White Sox. And, you know, didn't have a great start for reasons that have been gone uh, gone over many a time now. And, you know, reasons that should have never happened, but they did. And now, he, you know, it's, the focus is on baseball. So I think that's the story. And the fact that players seem to really be responding to it. And, you know, I think one thing not to get caught up on is, 
you know, people were talking about, there's been a lot of quotes about he has a great attention to detail and that every move has a purpose and that, you know, his knowledge is, is pretty much unmatched. You know, I, I don't think this is at all meant as a shot at Ricky Renteria, you know, for the job they did last year. I mean, I watched spring training last year up until it got shut down on like March 12th or something like that. And it wasn't like, you know, they were rolling the balls out there and Ricky and uh, Joe McEwing were sitting with their feet up in cars taking naps. You know, I mean, there was good work being put in by a team that finished 35 and 25. And who knows what they would have done if they didn't, you know, have that rough finish that took them from a number two seed to a number seven seed. I think it's more a testament to players saying, we really like what we've seen from Tony La Russa. You know, not saying he's better than manager X or manager Y. It's just what he's done right now is doing a great job. And, you know, he's going to be the guy leading him, but ultimately it's going to be the players that dictate how good this team is this year. Who has the most swag right now in camp? I'm just curious because you're down there. Is it Tim Anderson, the, the, the king of just confidence, or is it Yoan Moncada because he has his own music video? Like, is that coming up down there? Are guys laughing about that? Like, I saw it. He's got like 15 girls in bikinis. He's dancing around. Uh, and to me, I'm impressed by Yo-Yo. I mean, that's how you recover from COVID-19. He's done it. He's got me convinced he's ready to go for 2021. I'm going to go off the board and say Daryl Van Scowen of the Sun-Times. Says the most. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I think it's Tim. It's always Tim. You know, that that that's what Tim is about. Tim is the ultra-confident guy. And, you know, I've talked to some people about him this camp and just how much he's changed, you know, from like, I remember just like as someone who interviewed him, you know, when he first came up and understandably when he first came up, he was a, a young guy just kind of learning the ropes and wasn't sure one way or the other what was now what was going on, but just kind of trying to fit in. So he didn't say a lot. And now he's, you know, the vocal leader of that team, you know, and, and I mean, really him and Abreu, you know, I should add going back real quickly to the question about the story down here. I mean, obviously one of the stories is Jose Abreu has not yet, you know, reported because of the the COVID issues and that's a guy they need, you know, to, to a man that is the people what the players talk about is their leader, you know, they're the leader of that team. And, you know, you want him to be healthy. That's the biggest thing you want. And it sounds like he's asymptomatic and everything is just a, a process right now, but you want him to be there and be healthy. But yeah, I think the swag goes, you know, it, it's always Tim Anderson. That That's my opinion. And, and in a good way, you know, it's a, it's a good bravado it's a if you want to beat me come at me but you know you're gonna have a tough time taking me down sort of bravado not a i'm better than you don't bother me type of thing it's you know we've worked hard to get here we know what we did to get here and now we believe we're gonna win once we're here kind of thing let's talk about carlos rodan word comes out today out of camp there's some reports that michael kopech and garrett crochet will start the season in the bullpen so a lot of people assume that means Rodon is the fifth starter with C sitting at four in there. And it's or where, however they line up, but it's going to be your big three C's and Rodon. The question that we both have, and Ed and I have been talking about this on the show, how long of a leash do you think that Carlos Rodon actually has? Because it feels like Michael Kopech is destined to be a starter before this season is over. And, you know, remember they, they let this guy go after arbitration and allowed every other team to have a shot at him. Yeah, they brought him back, but like he, if he doesn't get out of the gate quick, how long does he last in the rotation, do you think? You know, I certainly don't want to take any, anything away from any other outlets, and I heard you know, the LaRusso interview was very good on the score this morning, but I personally think now, now, Kopech is an interesting story because Kopech until Rick said that in his first, uh, Rick Hahn in his first meeting with us in spring training, that you know he was going to be used in a different way. At that point, you pretty much knew he was breaking camp with the team. Rick, Rick says, Rick is very good at saying things without completely saying them, you know? Oh yeah. So oh, at, yeah. That, at that point, he pretty much said, 
you know, if you read between the lines, it was very unlikely. And then Aaron Bummer yesterday mentioned about how Kopech was saying, you know, I got to figure out a routine in the bullpen. Well, <laughs> you know, that's pretty clear that he's gone. And Crochet to me was, as soon as, you know, he left the game in Oakland and shortly thereafter they found out that it wasn't his, it wasn't a serious thing and he was, you know, in the throwing program, he was working out of the bullpen this year. This is a team that's meant to win this year. This team is not meant to make an incremental jump. They didn't hire Tony La Russa to, you know, improve by 10 games and, you know, maybe get to the second round or the ALCS. This is meant to win the World Series. And you're best helped as a team by having Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet on the Major League roster. Yeah, with that said, I mean, you know, Rodon is in the mix at five. I think Lopez probably has a shot at five. It's probably Rodon's job right now. I don't know what the lead, you know, the so-called leash is going to be. I mean, you're going to have Kopech and Crochet, I think, getting stretched out because remember, as much as they want to win this year, they want to keep winning and they believe Crochet and Kopech are going to be a part of that by, you know, being in the starting rotation in the future and for what they hope is many years to come. But they also have, I think, money to spend at the trade deadline if, you know, that's what they need. If they feel like they need another big starter to go in there behind Giolito and Keiko and Lynn, then they may go out and may go out and make that move. May go out and get that guy. But I, I wouldn't have to guess right now, whatever they need a fifth starter for, at least in April, it's gonna be that's gonna be Carlos Rodon. All right. I'm gonna let you go, but I'm gonna ask you based upon what you just said, that the White Sox are are in it to win it this year. If I had to put a gun to your head, Scott, and I would never do that because I love you, would you think it was more likely this team is better this year? or better next year? Because I keep thinking when Kopech and Crochet are good, like 2022 really is the unstoppable year. Am I wrong? I just have a feeling this year's team, for some reason in my mind, this team's either going to be like a 95 to 97 win team or like an 82 to 84 win team. Mm. I don't know why I feel that, because I just think it's so early. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think people just, you know, obviously Jake Berger is a great story down here at camp. Tremendous story. He's lost 40 pounds. He's, you know, got his career back. He's fought through depression and, and you know, anxiety and that kind of thing. And, you know, he's not going to break camp with the team, but he's a great story. Same with Gavin Sheets, losing weight and getting, learning another position. But everything is overreacted to in the spring training. You know, a guy throws a great bullpen and you're like, oh, I hear that, you know, he's he's getting better from bullpen to bullpen. Well, that's great and it may be true, but, you know, you got to face hitters, right? And just like on the flip side, you see someone, if you're a fan on a team that, might be in the same area as you and you see someone struggle in a bullpen, you're like, oh, they're sunk. Well, that's not true either. You know, I mean, it's, it's guys are working on that. I remember just as an example, one year when Wade Davis, the year, the one year he closed for the Cubs. So was that 17? I want to say, I think he so. went out one game and I think he had like, I think he gave up five runs in a cactus league game because all he threw was fastballs in that game. And he was just focused on certain locations. So, you know, I, I think it's hard to read here, but just when you take the, the, Temperatures team. I think this team has got a chance to do something special. I think it's a good a good start. Will certainly help them. And I I still think you know my my theory is that if you have a team that's won the title two years in a row and they haven't done anything really to take a step back, I think that's a team you still got to beat right in Minnesota. Not saying the Sox can't beat them and won't beat them, but I still think you know this is far from the Sox and everyone else. It's you know to me it's a three team race with Kansas City improved and Detroit not as bad as they were last year. Scott Merkin. MLB.com. He's got his finger right there on the pulse of the White Sox, and he's going to go out now and party Arizona style. Thanks for joining Sox or in the Basement. Or go to sleep, one of the two. <laughs> Sox in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. 
And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boots specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So let's talk about how Rick Hahn put his foot firmly inside of his mouth this week. I hope he was wearing clean shoes. Yeah, and, and here's what's funny about it. He didn't need to do it. Because we had no. already pretty much talked about what he admitted to in the article. Like yeah. some if you if you listen to Sacks in the Basement, what Rick Hahn said was pretty much something that we had been on top of for the last month. But nobody from the White Sox had said it, which makes me wonder when he's yelling about White Sox Twitter personalities, is he also yelling about White Sox podcast that might be a little bit too close to home? Because he sits down with the athletic this week. And he starts talking about people with their hot takes on Twitter, not based in reality or fact. And he's trying to craft a narrative. He, he does the thing that maybe annoys me more than it. We all have these pet peeves, right? The thing that bothers me the most is when people try to do revisionist history. When people try to tell you some narrative that you're like, but no, that's not what happened. No, no, there were witnesses no. to this. No, 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 no I got no, the no. tape. I got the video. I got the, I got the receipts. That, that didn't happen. And the person's like, nope, nope. You know, it's like it's a, they're pulling a shaggy. It wasn't me, you know, in the song. They're like, it wasn't right. me. Yeah. You know, but I, but I, but I saw you not spending the money. It wasn't me, but, but I saw you not going after a pitcher. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. That's what, that's, that's what that is. And that's what he did in this article because he says, I don't really pay attention to Twitter people, but, and I'm not really concerned about what they think, but, but I'm going to have now two or two or three paragraphs in this article are now going to be me yelling about fans and giving their opinions. Right. For a guy who talks about how he doesn't care about the opinion of fans and how he doesn't read Twitter. He goes on at length about it. Yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, he he really talks about it an awful lot. It really actually does bother him. He says, that stuff doesn't bother me, but it clearly bothers him, right? Yeah, he, he the whole time he's talking about it, he's sitting there, he's basically defending himself to everything that you would see on White Sox Twitter and amongst fans. And yes, I'm going to go on and limit guest podcasters and bloggers oh, and all that yeah. stuff too. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's. You know, and you know what the next thing is, is when he shows up on the corporate podcast in two weeks and, and, and backs it up or when they start talking about how Rick Hahn's right. We've seen this act before. We saw oh, this a few years ago when he went on and screamed about people at that bar, which was, was at Reggie's. He goes and sits down. He does a thing with the corporate podcast and he blames White Sox fans. He claims that all of them that, you know, too many of these fans want us to fail. Like he lashes out in the middle of saying he doesn't care what they say and he doesn't read it. But man, he was prepared with comments. Well, he certainly was. And remember the corporate podcast, like release that comment hours before they actually put out the full podcast to highlight it just to take a shot and gaslight the fan base. It was, it was, it was so blatant when they did it. We talked about it afterwards and I feel like we're going through it again and we don't need to. It's spring training. 
There's too much positivity around this team. Rick, you had it with the quote that I said earlier in the show. When I talked about what you said earlier in that article and where you're basically saying, this is the budget I got and I think I did a good job, I agree with you. I actually oh, yeah. think that you did a good job with what you were given. But don't start defending the spending practices of your owner and acting like we don't know what we're talking about. The fact remains, and we've gone over on this show before, but in case you're new, I'm going to say it again. The fact remains that for years upon years, before the rebuild, the White Sox ranked somewhere between 12 and 14 compared to every other team in Major League Baseball with their payroll. They sit all the time compared to everybody else somewhere in that 12 to 15th in Major League Baseball payroll. Then they go into a rebuild and they drop their payroll to the bottom and they save hundreds of millions of dollars over those next several years. They're back this year to that, that same ranking. They're sitting right in there, 12, 13, I believe, right now. Okay, depending on what other people did, they might have dropped a little bit. They're right back. So yes, you are back to what you used to spend before the rebuild. But when you said the money will be spent, we all thought it was that money that you weren't spending during three years of suckage, where we were still going out and buying hot dogs and sitting at the ballpark, where you were telling people, come out and support the team because the money will be spent. So don't tell me that people who are questioning that phrase and asking why didn't we at least spend another $10 million on a more reliable fifth starter than Carlos Rodan? Why, why didn't we add some depth to this team? Because as you say in the mismatched Sox blog that's out currently, you go through the depth because when Jose Abreu contracted COVID-19, the world lost its mind because they're like, oh my God, what if it's just like Moncada? Which I don't believe because he's asymptomatic and thinks that he actually yeah. got it back in January. And I think this is a very different case. I mean, from what I'm reading, it seems very different, but that was the initial reaction. You go through do we have enough depth? And you show some places, yes, some places, no. If you would have just spent a little bit more than what you normally would have spent, like 10 or 15 million of those hundreds of millions of dollars that you saved during the rebuild, you wouldn't have this kind of reaction. We're not even saying, where's the other 200 million? A lot of us are saying, could you just use like 15 of it this year? Possibly, anyway, that's fact. Those are actual facts. Those are facts that people can look up online. It's almost as if Rick Hahn is mad because the fans that pay attention to the team paid attention to what was going on. And, and the propaganda machine wasn't able to shut up the independent podcasters and bloggers who have actually shined a light on what really happened with the money. And so now he wants to lash out and he should have just not said it. Like we're not against you. I, I have said over and over again, I am not blaming Rick Hahn for it. I'm blaming your owner. And I don't root for the White Sox for Jerry Reinstorf for Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn or Tony La Russa. I root for the White Sox because I'm a White Sox fan. I've been one since I was born. My dad took me to the games. They're my team. And it doesn't matter who the chairman of the board is or the owner is to me in any way whatsoever. It matters to me is there a good product on the field. And as a fan, I'm allowed to ask the question that we just asked. What happened to that money? And I'm allowed to stand there and say it is, it is based in fact. You, you are trying to change the narrative and change history when we all just watched it and paid very close attention to it over the last four to five years. So don't go on there and sound stupid because you sounded stupid. You were doing a really good job. It was a really nice article. You made a really good point that I couldn't wait to talk about. And then I go three paragraphs down. And I'm like, why, Rick? Why did you do that? Well, he's just making it a story again. You know, we, we could have just put it to bed because... I had moved on, Ed. We had moved on. We had said on the show, we're never talking about this again. And then he made it a story. And he chose to go make it a story. He couldn't control himself. 
He went and yeah. found a reporter, sat down and unloaded for an hour. Supposedly, he had this conversation with him. Well, and, and, and the problem I have, too, with, with this is, is, like you said, the revisionist history. When they failed to sign Manny Machado, all right, what were we as fans faced with? We, we saw Kenny Williams come on and act surprised because he thought they had the best offer. But they didn't. But then and they, they tried didn't. to tell you that it was, but they didn't. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> you know what? And, and it doesn't matter what your offer was. It, it clearly wasn't the best offer because Manny Machado didn't take it. I get a lot of the points that he makes. They're valid points, right? You can make the point about the pandemic. And then we can sit down and try to talk about, well, how much did they really lose? You guys want to show us the books? And when you're talking about what you lost, are you talking about you actually went into the negative, into the red? Or you there was profit you thought you were going to get that you didn't get? You're like, how does that really affect things? But they don't they don't tell you about that. They just say the word pandemic like it's a magic like a magic word and they walk away. All right. And mo- all, all, all these owners are doing the same thing. But when you press them on it, they won't they won't talk details with you because it's BS. You know, no. And, and any crisis is going to be used to the advantage of those that are in power and that are rich. I think everybody kind of knows that. So you got a very rich owner who's very powerful within the league, and he's doing what he's doing, and they're frustrated as a, as a team that there's people paying attention to what they do. And I don't think you're a bad fan to ask the questions that we ask. In fact, you're an involved fan. You're you're the best kind of fan. You actually love the team. You actually care about the team. And you become disappointed when you see obvious things that could have been done for the team that aren't done. If you're if you weren't going to spend any more, then just move on. Just stick with that quote of this is the budget that I got and move on. Why did you take it's like the, the wounded scabbed over? People are excited about everything that's going on in camp. People are people are people are embracing Tony LaRusa. There are people that like three months ago, there are people that I know that were like, oh, this is a terrible hire. It's terrible. Now we're sitting there going, man, I think he's gonna be pretty good. I think he knows what he's doing. I hear what he's talking about. I think he's going to be really good at what he does. I think he's going to have really versatile lineups. I don't think we're going to run into the same thing that we saw with Rick Renteria. And I agree with that. When I was told that, I, I told my buddy, I was like, yep, exactly. It's going to be the, it's going to be different lineups set up for different matchups. And there's no like cookie cutterness of it. This is going to be a real manager. There's an upgrade there. And people are, people are coming around and becoming more and more positive. And then your general manager walks out and just peels the scab off and lets the wound start bleeding again. And again, it's again that the that the the organization attacks the fan base that they that they actually serve. Like it, it doesn't make it's mind-boggling to me. It seems like bad business. It seems really petulant. Like you know, like we don't like being picked on. We don't like people like watching us. We just want to run our team and have nobody ever say anything that questions what our reasons are because we're the smartest people in the room. It's disappointing. It really is. And, and, you know, I, I would like to enjoy my White Sox. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all, Rick. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, Kenny. If you don't have something nice to say about the fan base, don't say it at all, Jerry. And that goes for everybody else inside the organization. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. Because right now you've probably got the best chance of bringing back fans that were sick of you over the last couple of years. And you're out here banging the drum telling people that you don't have a right to ask questions. You don't have a right to add up. You don't have a right to go on one of these websites on the internet and click payroll and look at the history of the payroll and easily figure out what's actually happening. Don't look at that. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It's 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 maddening, and I don't want to talk about it ever again. I really don't. I really want them to just shut up and play ball, and you better be ready to make a move midway through the season to improve this team if we're on our way. And I don't want to hear this cry poor crap 
again from this team. Either shut up and don't say anything, okay, or have something positive to say and stop picking on your fan base. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.